Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Good morning. Uh, the the uh, little prayer before the Bible verse came from Melissa Ann on July 19th, and it's from the Downtons, and it was really, I thought it was very lovely, so I thought we'd use that one. Could you bow your heads, please? God of grace, you have given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, and voices to sing your praise. Be so present with us and to us today and always in our lives. May celebrate your glory, worship you in spirit and in truth, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the Bible verse is from Proverbs, and it is um, Solomon, son of David, speaking to his son. And it's the third chapter, and it's verses 1 through 8. And there are two verses here that are so familiar that when I get to them, I'll kind of smile. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. This is the one I like so well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, for the fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Our New Testament reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You know that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. The idea of never leaning on our own understanding may seem very strange, even dangerous, when we value education and reason. In Augustine Burroughs' book, Running with Scissors, one of the main characters, Hope Finch, often uses the Bible to practice what she calls Bible dipping, to figure out truth and answers about what decision to make. Generally, how Bible dipping worked was that one person would hold the Bible and another person thought of a question to ask God. 
Then the person holding the Bible would open it at random and drop their finger onto the page. Whatever word their finger landed on gave them the answer. It was like asking a magic eight ball a question, except that it was asking God instead. For example, Hope Bible dipped to decide whether she should visit a particular friend that week. Another time, she used Bible dipping to figure out whether she should order a, order a tuna or turkey sandwich at the market. <laughs> this practice, called bibliomancy, may seem like a very strange practice to us, but it's been around in some form since the age of antiquity, and some people even do it today. At first glance, our scripture from Proverbs may seem to some people to encourage a kind of mindless interpretation like this. Some people practicing bibliomancy may even justify their practices using exhortation like, lean not on your own understanding. So are we truly supposed to never, never lean on our own understanding, on our own intelligence, or interpreting anything? This may raise some deeper questions. Where do we find wisdom and truth? How do we get wisdom and truth from God? And what does this mean that we have, does this mean that we have to throw out our intelligence, that we can't filter messages about truth through our own experience and reasoning? Luckily, Presbyterians don't believe that we should check our brains at the door when we come to church or when we read the Bible. In fact, we wouldn't be able to function in our daily lives without our brains and the ability to discern and make judgments. So what are we supposed to make of our scripture this morning? I don't believe it's telling us we should go Bible dipping, like the Finch family does in Running With Scissors, not thinking at all. But where is the fine line between not thinking at all and relying too much on our own thinking? Sometimes it's hard to know where our own faculties and God's wisdom intersect. Could they intersect in the heart? Verse 3 of our Proverbs passage says, do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse 3 of our reading from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth says, And you show that you are a letter of Christ, prepared by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. This English translation, heart, in both of our scriptures this morning is a little confusing. In our Western culture, we often think of the word heart in association with emotions and feelings, maybe even romance. But cultures of the ancient Near East, like the one that the Israelites lived in, they understood the heart as one's whole being. The heart was the organ that had a vital role in thinking, reasoning, and planning. It was also directly connected to human conduct and action. For the Israelites, wisdom was often described as a skill, like the skill of a craftsman, tailor, shipbuilder, or even the capacity of a leader to lead. The Hebrews also understood wisdom as a virtue possessed by God and given to us. God was the source of all of our wisdom and insight. And trusting and having reverence, or fear, as the scripture puts it, for the Lord was good for their well-being. When wisdom is written on our hearts, it has been given by God and permanently stored into our memories. The commandments were not only intellectual beliefs the Israelites agreed upon, but they formed their whole being and way of relating in the world. 
writing on their hearts the teachings about God's wisdom meant not only learning them mentally, but living into them so that they were the essence of who they were. The transmission of God's wisdom depended greatly on communities. The Torah, or the law, um, was passed down from parents to children, from generation to generation. And these teachings shaped their communities. It gave them more tools to discern God's wisdom and community, and it taught their children about this wisdom of God. This is what the book of Deuteronomy was talking about when it talked about reciting the Shema part of the Torah. It says, recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. The Torah shaped the identity of their community in listening for God. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth also talks about the way this community values each other and helps each other to listen for God. Each person had a role and a valuable perspective in community discernment. In this way, Paul speaks of a living letter, a letter that is the concrete expression of Christ's ministry in their world, a ministry that both the Corinthians had been shaped and formed by, as well as Paul the Apostle. During this time, it was common for people to rely on letters of recommendation to enhance their status to a community. But Paul denies that he's seeking this greater status. Instead, he says that the community itself is his letter. He points to the gifts of the Spirit that have been present in the community since their church began. This is the living letter, the letter written on their hearts. The Holy Spirit had been at work there trying to help them live into the good news of the gospel message. Paul is trying to show them that his ministry, the gospel he speaks of, is one of humility. They were all learning to live into the gospel ministry together, and they all needed each other in this community. God worked through this mutual relationship. God transforms us through mutual learning. Community is how we overcome an over-reliance on our wisdom and stay focused on God's wisdom. Paul said, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. And he's not talking only of ordained ministers, but all who proclaim the gospel, of the priesthood of all believers. <coughs> Paul credits their relationship to Christ as a source of this strength from God, this strength to carry on and to grow this ministry. But both Paul and the church had to be teachable, humble enough to grow together. It's no wonder being teachable is sometimes called a spiritual discipline. Being teachable allows us to be open to what God is teaching us through others. When we realize we can't boast in ourselves, our beliefs or our ways, but only Christ, then we can be teachable and open. For the past two years that I've served at First Pres, I've learned so much and I've seen the power of a community seeking God's wisdom together. These teachings aren't solely stored in my brain, but they're written on my heart. They've become an essential part of who I am, more than just head knowledge. This residency has transformed me as a pastor. It's given me the confidence and skills to launch out into the rest of the ministry world. I've been trying to practice the spiritual discipline of being teachable and learning God's wisdom through you. But you've made it easy. You've encouraged and believed in me. You've given me opportunities that I couldn't have had otherwise. 
You've given me opportunities to discern a call to transitional ministry, and you sent me to get further training in this. You've helped me to become a better communicator. As a preacher and worship leader, I've been grateful for your patience and forgiveness towards me for some of my not-so-great sermons and my fumbled words and movements leading worship. You've taught me how to officiate weddings and lead communion and baptisms. You've taught me how to be a Stephen minister and sent me to the training. You've grown my faith in this gospel ministry, that God's spirit is truly active in this church through our foibles and challenges, through our mistakes and growing edges. Through this, I've seen so many glimpses of God's resurrection. You've modeled what it means to be the hands and feet of Christ in the community and in the world and for one another. You've shaped my beliefs as they have continued to evolve. You've taught me the, the beauty of being a diverse church, a mixture of conservative and liberal and everything in between, with a variety of perspectives about God's wisdom and truth. You've reminded me that people's faith and beliefs are complex and that boxes and categories don't make good enclosures for describing our beliefs. God's word to us, the Bible, isn't meant to be treated superstitiously like a magic eight ball, nor is it something to be ignored or twisted to fit our own biases or predispositions. The Bible is the plumb line in our communities that help us to not make God in our image, and you all have taught me how to do that. More than anything, you've inspired me to believe more deeply in the power of Christ's ministry for transformation. I've seen a living testimony of the priesthood of all believers from all of you. In her book, Searching for Sunday, the late Rachel Held Evans describes leaving the Christianity she was raised with and her time away from the church and how she eventually returned to institutional Christianity with a renewed sense of faith that took the call to be a priesthood of all believers more seriously. When we realize we have a role in God's ministry, we can empower others to do the same and to realize the same. This is transformational. In her book, Rachel cites Barbara Brown Taylor's quote about this call for transformation. And this is what she says. To be a priest is to know that things are not as they should be and yet to care for them the way they are. To me, this describes how you care for and grow residents. You welcome us and you care for us just as we are. And yet, you see the profound potential for us in us for growth. In many ways, you see who we're called to grow into before we can even picture it ourselves. The good news for us for resident ministers and members and visitors alike, for all of us. The good news has always been that we don't have to discern God's wisdom on our own. This is the good news of the gospel. None of us have to figure out how to do this ministry alone. And thank God for that. I don't know about you, but I certainly can't do it on my own. Together we can discern God's wisdom and how God is calling us forward. We can use the wisdom of our community and the insights that God gives all of us individually. Not leaning on our own understanding means letting God teach us through others, through everyone in our community. You've journeyed alongside us residents and helped us to grow and learn more about how to do ministry. As you discern how God is calling First Pres forward, may you continue to rely on God's wisdom. In addition to your own insight, we must also glean God's wisdom through studying God's word to us and others' perspectives of God's word to us besides our own. 
We need all of these things for the complete picture. When we learn God's wisdom with our whole being, this heart-centered action model from the biblical world, it shapes our whole way of being in the world. It's marked by an openness to different perspectives and different ways of interpreting God's word. It's also about new ways of doing church and putting our faith into action. My last Sunday at First Pres will be August 11th, and so I leave you with this farewell prayer. My prayer is that you will continue to welcome and accept and see the potential growth in future residents. I pray that you'll continue to support them and care for them in body, mind, and spirit. I pray that they would be open to learning more about God's wisdom and Christ's ministry in this world through you. I also pray that you would be open to learning from them too. This is the transformational power of seeking God's wisdom in community. After all, we're all disciples on this journey together, sometimes figuring out the way one step at a time. Amen. And now, lest we believe that our praise alone fulfills your purpose, we fall silent and remember him who came because words weren't enough. Setting our wisdom, our will, our words aside, emptying our hearts and bringing nothing in our hands, we yearn for the healing, the holding, the accepting, the forgiving that Christ alone can offer. We pray that with our offerings of love, service, and food in this church and all over the world, hope and nourishment will come to those in need. Merciful God, send now in kindness your Holy Spirit to make our sharing in this bread and cup a sharing in Christ's body and blood. And let that same spirit rest on us, converting us from the patterns of this passing world until we conform to the shape of him whose food we now share. We prayed in the name of Jesus, who gave us his own words to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.